Yeah, how's that light sound on the audio? That's just, it was making a, it was making a, uh, it's so bright it makes people sound stupid. <laughs> Okay, there's no question that that would have been funnier had I said the word dim instead of stupid. The light is so bright it makes everybody seem dim. But I missed it. You know, I wish I had retakes on it, but I don't have retakes on it. I think you're going to love this podcast. We'll see. (laughs) I'll know soon enough. Hi, everybody. Todd Conklin in the Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you today? Um, Today's kind of fun. Because uh, after the HOP conference, the Human and Organizational Performance Conference, which we're going to talk about the name of that in great detail here in a flash, um, got together around a kitchen table, and uh, always the best conversations happen around a kitchen table, and I just happened to have my little recorder with me, and so I whipped my little recorder out and recorded the conversation, and it's, a, it's, an, interesting, um, it's an interesting group of people to be certain. So Brian Bloom's in there. Andrea's in there. Bob Edwards is in there. Uh, uh, Mark Yeston's in there. Mark Homeyer's in there. And myself. I think that's everybody. I might, it's, if I miss anybody, I'll put them uh, in at the end. But I think I, think I got everybody. And um, we were just kind of, uh, maybe you could call it a debrief or an after-action review or a decompression. That even may be a better way. We we were just kind of sitting around hanging out. In fact, it was before we'd gone out to dinner, and so it wasn't plied with uh, liquid librations. I mean, it was just a just we're just sitting around a table talking in uh, in the Airbnb that um, uh, the guys had in Houston near the hotel, and uh, and it's a pretty good little conversation. I thought it would be worth our time and worth your time to sort of recap the conference because I thought the conference was quite remarkable. There were some. Oh, I I would guess there were probably, I think the numbers are official. I mean, we don't have to guess, but I would guess there there were about um, 600 people total. And uh, the conference, if you heard Lisa's podcast earlier, was in two parts. There was an advanced part and then there was an open part. And this is kind of after the open part. So uh, this was really wide open and, and available. And it was so good to see Rob Fisher was there. Tony Mashar was there. Um, uh, the, the gang, uh, Eric Hallnagel, which he, he's coming up on a podcast, uh, one or two. He's 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 very soon. That's someone to look forward to as well. Um, really great discussions, really great participation, and all that's wonderful. But what I was most impressed with was how incredible um, the participants were on their journey into the safety two stuff. And it is it is quite remarkable. I mean, I don't think I had anything to add or even say, really. I just sort of killed time and sucked up air. But listening to as many of the breakout sessions as I could go to, to listen to the success stories in the field about how companies, great companies are becoming greater companies and learning and improving and, and identifying problems and fixing things before they happen. It's actually pretty remarkable. I mean, it's it's... It's it's something to be seen. It's something to behold, that's for sure. And it was really, really fun. And maybe the best way to have this conversation is to not talk more about the stuff that I drivel on with because I got lots of stuff to drivel on with for sure, but to actually just kind of get you into the conversation. So in a way, um, 
you're being invited to join us. So we'll make a place at a table for you. Sit down. Um, uh, grab a nice cold iced tea because uh, it was pretty warm in Houston. So <laughs> that was not a problem. And uh, and join us in this conversation of of safety, kind of the future and what safety holds for the future and how people are doing what they're doing and how much fun it is to watch them be successful. So here it is. It's a conversation that you're invited to. Enjoy. So so we're at the table um, after the hop con- uh, concert, <laughs> after the, the Human Organizational Performance Conference. So you Tony will be proud of you because you said Human and Organizational Performance Conference, not a hop conference. And, it, and it's really interesting that so Tony Mashara said that he's really offended by the word hop. And I noticed he never says the word hop. He always says human and organizational performance. I don't have much energy. Pay off. Pay off? Yeah. So, I mean, is the word hop the right word? I I don't know. I'm going to have to get my shirts all changed. I know that because they all say the hop coach. Well, so we sat through Hallnagel, and Hallnagel said he really hates the word uh, safety. Right. Is safety the wrong word? I don't know. What conference were we at? The Change the Word conference? Yeah, uh, yeah. maybe. I mean, that seems to be a... I think it was a Scrabble convention. Bottle. Bottle. I mean, it, it, is it safety? Is it, What do we do? Because we talk a lot about highly reliable systems, we talk about all that kind of stuff. What should we call it? I don't know. I do know language is important, right? So if we're signaling a change in how we're going to discuss, we might need to signal a change in the words we're using. So, so do you know Do you know why language is important? Have you, have you deconstructed that much? Uh, I don't know if my theory is at all accurate. So there's a, theory, there's a theory called the Worf-Sapir hypothesis. Okay. And that theory says is that language controls thought. Which is kind of what also Carl Weick says. If you yep. want to change the way you think, change the language you use. And the idea behind that is that the language actually is this is the schema, which is their word. I don't find that word very interesting, but the schema by which you formulate thoughts. Yes. And so the words you use make a difference. And it's really funny. One of the lessons that I learned really early um, in the human performance journey is initially we dumbed down the language. Because I think our belief was that the workers wouldn't use error-likely condition or error-provoking condition or, or, or uh, I mean, the, any of the words we use. Social-technical interface. Yeah, that kind of word. And what we learned is that actually the language is so important that using the language of human error actually is not only uh, totally within the realms of the worker, mm-hmm. but actually very, very clarifying and it, and it provides sort of a fluency, a unifying force around how people see uh, potential pitfalls or safeguards. There's actually a really cool hidden brain. If I am I allowed to plug another podcast? Yeah. Podcast? So yeah, hidden I brain podcast about podcast wars. Podcast wars. <laughs> about language and the fact that the language that you think in, the mm-hmm. actual language you think in, right, can change how you are forming your thoughts. And so people that are multilingual will choose what language they want to think in based on what their objective is. Which is interesting. Whoa. So we're on a project for a large utility company where um, the primary language of the workforce, the blue line language, well, that sounds kind of sad. We should use that. <laughs> the blue language is Spanish. And Spanish is really interesting in that the word safety doesn't really right. translate at all. I mean, the, so the concept of safety is really more about security, not security. Government agents um, don't climb that fence. Uh, Jared, fill out your form <laughs> the third time. But security around sort of Maslovian 
uh, first mm -hmm. layer security. And we found that um, one of the challenges was not in getting the language in Spanish around essential checklists and, and conditions. The challenge was is that when we put the language in Spanish, I at least felt, I don't know how you guys feel, but I at least felt that the, the management, the English-speaking management, almost discredited um, the work that was done. They didn't see it as valuable. In this case, we were lucky in that the, the one of the very most senior leaders was a native Spanish speaker, and I was able to engage that senior leader in actually the final translation of the, uh, of the, the essentials checklist, which gave it a little bit of cachet in the organization. But it's, it's, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. It's certainly a part of it as well. So. Well, we actually yeah. saw that a, a lot working multiculturally, that we needed to have someone who was comfortable translating not only the words but also the thoughts to whoever the management team was to make sure that it was taken seriously because there is just, just so much that can be misunderstood in making sure that you are speaking in a way that your audience is understanding the concept of what you're trying to get across. So. Absolutely. What's, what's your big takeaway, each of you, from the last couple of days? What, what did you guys um, pull from the 2018 Hoppapalooza. <laughs> what do we call it that? The Hoppapalooza? Hoppapalooza. It's interesting because Mark and I were talking on the way over. I'm, you know, being new to inst instructing and trying to communicate this stuff. I was telling him earlier, I have, although have been doing this type of work for quite some time, learning the language of it to then communicate what I've known for a long time was one of my takeaways and challenges for me. So, uh, and interesting too because... Uh, Brian, you got to get on a podcast around the, the hot debrief idea because it's it's brilliant. But I think one of the things that I found so interesting in the presentation around the hot debrief, and I was basically sitting in the back of the room trying not to talk because I got in trouble the last time I talked, um, is when you popped up your slide, it was divided into three very distinct sections, and we'll talk about that in greater detail. But the third section was that a hot debrief allows the opportunity to detect. And I thought the choice that you made in your slide to use the word detect was brilliant. And in fact, one of the reasons I think it's brilliant is because I think it actually gives the hot debrief a much different value. If you look at a debrief as a detection tool for weak signals, uh, precursors, whatever you want to call them, then it's a phenomenal, phenomenal way to collect that. I, I actually think that hot debrief idea is brilliant for two reasons. I love detect. I also love the fact that it, it, it it's it's not form. What, how do you say it? It's not formal, but it has a format. There, there, yeah, there's no form, yes. but it follows a format. And I have to credit. I have to credit that there's, there's, no, there's no paper form. Yeah. But but I mean, but the idea it sounds especially clever. But I, if you if you talked about that in work control documents, there's no form, but there's a format. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, because a lot of what, people will freak out on that initially because, right, well, what do we put in ISO? And what do we, you know, what do we put in all of our sort of forms and document places? So the people are going to, it's a great idea. It's just how will we translate that into the industrial world? I agree. The other thing I thought about that was interesting from the hot debrief was, uh, was the fact that it creates, a, a, an, it creates an expectation of dialogue that, that it, it, it hardwires that dialogue into the system. And if you look at, like, uh, tugboatists, 
Those are people that are on tugboats, <laughs> if you don't know that. They're artists are people that do art. They're tugboateers. Flautists play flout. Flout. Yeah, baristas are borrows. They borrow stuff. Um, plumus plum, right? That right is I'm getting all this right, but you look at you look at a, an, an organization that does sixteen thousand jobs a year, and you think if we built in an expectation of a dialogue after each one of those jobs, a hot debrief, just seconds long maybe, that the data you would collect is powerful. The takeaway that I will carry with me is something Eric Hallnagel said, which was that if you identify small improvements that happen many times a day, they multiply to large improvements. And I thought that was really interesting. What takeaway do you have? I'll go last. Okay. Because do you, are you going to like... I got a good final statement. Okay, so it's going to be a, like a teary ending. Excellent. So what would you take away, Brian? Uh, that was my takeaway. Okay. I told you yeah. Oh, yeah, wait, I got all kind of off track because yeah. I talked about how cool your presentation was. Okay. So I'll, I'll stay on the, the language concept so I think what I took away is, is I remembered back to when I first started learning this concept and that one of the most important things for me was understanding how to articulate something to help disrupt the paradigm and that that was something that you all gave to me and part of what I want to be able to give to other people is that same ability right so making sure that I know how to explain something in a way where somebody could take that information, use it, articulate it in their own way to help pass the concepts on to people that weren't able to be with us nice. in these last days. Mark? I found it really interesting. That for so many people, this was kind of their first introduction. They know that this thinking is out there, and this was their first opportunity to come and engage with it. And uh, a lot of motivation, a lot of fantastic questions, a lot of good energy. But then a real fear about how do they take this yeah. back? That you know my managers are really going to be skeptical of this, and I, I, I feel like I need to give them a program to sell them or to tell them that we need to buy this thing. And it's difficult to say, well, this isn't really you know a program. It's just a different way of thinking about things in the context of whatever program we happen to be using. I actually found that fear part really interesting as well. I thought that was. Um, I, I, that was really a lot of a lot of people would come up and kind of with big eyes and say, "I think I understand what you're talking about, but I don't understand what I what I should do." What'd you tell them? I told them to tell some stories. I told them to bring some stories from the from the conference and talk about it. And I really tried to concentrate with them on the on the knowledge part. The fact that you know their senior leaders probably got there because they made good decisions and they made good decisions that were informed by having information and there was a value to information and knowledge and this is a tool for getting operational knowledge that they might otherwise not get. It's value added. I remember that feeling though. I was just I was speaking to somebody today who was talking to me about how they they thought they understood the concepts and they just were having a really hard time knowing what to do with them and I remember. You know, when I first heard you guys speak, having that same feeling of, well, I was waiting. I was waiting for the answer. Um, I was waiting. Instead of the questions, I was waiting for the answer. And I, I think it's because in our world, we don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out how you change a culture. We spend a huge amount of time understanding how you implement a program. So you're expecting, right? That's your schema. You're expecting when somebody is talking 
that they're going to give you the answer. Um, and I think that the answer that I tried to tell them is, hey, most of this answer is you being able to pass on this information to someone else because that's how we change culture. So. And I think any manager out there that was, or, or senior leader that would, would have been able to sit in on the presentation that was given by the hourly guys and the union guys who uh, have kind of implemented this in their workplace and have had tremendous success. And, you know, that was uh, kind of brought me to tears. I mean, these are just, you know, regular guys, obviously hard workers, and they've been through every version of, you know, safety done each way out there. And... And this is really working for them. And it's just a matter of changing the conversation and changing perspective. And their management, when they had an event, even after they'd been educated about this, kind of snapped right back in to get yeah. those guys off my site. And then they reconsidered. And they said, well, wait a minute, I guess we will pause to do some learning. And we'll fire these guys if it turns out they were wrong. But we did agree that we would do some learning. And they did the learning. And they brought the guys back onto the site and put them back in. And that had such a tremendous, tremendous uh, ripple effect through the rest of the staff. It's almost like you remove people from the site and then you are brave enough to say, you know what, maybe, maybe we made a mistake. We'll let you know, but we're going to look into this and then to come back in and say, you know, pulling those guys off the job was the wrong thing to do. We learned a lot and everybody's back at work. And the, and the information that's flowed into their operations since then because people feel free to talk about what they're actually facing has been huge for them. And it was just, it was just fantastic to see him talking like that. Yeah, we should give those guys a nod. They're from ICL. Yeah, so I got them. I got them right here. It's Aaron Curtis, Rich Huddleston, Scott Barris, ICL. Shout out to those guys because they did a movie. their EHS manager. Yes. Who um, actually crafted the memo? No, saying it was uh, uh, Troy. Oh, Troy. Troy. I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. It's a T word. It's a T word. Yep. Toby. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just looked this up to make sure I get their names right, and I think that's exactly right. Oh, story. And the story they told, the story they, the the confidence they had in their ability to to identify problems and solve problems, mm-hmm. I you couldn't buy that. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about that is that once those guys have the confidence. Is really all management can do is just get out. Well, and one of their graphics said, you know, it's like keep the experts at arm length. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at, you know, at, and you know, I, I just thought it was tremendous. It really, really, uh, that was that was my absolute high point. Those those folks were great. Captain Homeyer, what you got for us? Uh, I really liked the critical step uh, conversation. Um, yeah, and then the uh, just talking about uh, risk important actions versus critical steps. I I really I got a lot out of that. I think um, I, I wanted to probe that um, subject more. Uh, I feel like critical st- when you have to identify a critical step, that makes it, it uh, kind of forces you to stop your process and look, um, even if they're, I don't know, I, I, I think that it was interesting. I think it was the, your, um, I think there was something where we were talking about multiple critical steps. I think it was in that uh, the woman that was uh, doing that process uh, in the plant, right? Um, uh, the chemical plant. With the one that wore socks? That woman? Two arms, I think she two wore legs. socks, yeah. yeah. I don't remember her name, though. Yeah. Might have been stockings. Oh, stockings. Um, but the, you were, they were talking about trying to eliminate the critical step, and I think the critical step is this really important stopping place to say, okay. Eliminate, are you honestly eliminating? Well, this is what Tony was espousing, right? Or at least my understanding that. is there so would be some way you, to get rid of the critical step. How would you define I, a critical step? Just how would you define it? You, you've thought about it. I think it's the, the point of no return. Yeah. So, so same with me. I mean, 
I, I think people look at risk and hazard and try to determine what's critical, but I actually think it has much more to do with recoverability. If it's non-recoverable, right? If, 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 I, if I can do it and fail and recover, then it's not very critical, right? That's more of a risk importance step. But if I do it and when I push this button or turn this valve or step from this plane, depending on it, right, <laughs> right, there's no recovery. Once it happens, there's no going back on it. Then that actually, I think, that gives you, it, it would be interesting to look in your operations, but you probably actually have very few critical steps, but you have them. Well, so what I was th thinking was that you would want to reduce your risk important steps, but you always want to keep a critical step. So if you could reduce your risk important steps, I'm using the right term. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that makes your critical step uh, more clean when you it's make that step. Certainly stuff to think about. The way we think about, at least the way we thought about risk important steps and critical steps is risk important steps must be done right. Critical steps cannot be done wrong, <laughs> that's right. right? And that and that really helped us delineate it. And so we looked at all the things that need to be done right, and then we looked really. Our tool to look at was verification. So if these three things need to be done correctly, then the one control we can put on that, not terribly robust, but a pretty good control, is verification. So we verify, verify, verify. Three verifications, mm -hmm. ready to go. Chop the tree down, or you know whatever the action is. Because you think about chopping down a tree, there's a lot of things that are returnable. A lot of operations are returnable except for the one, right? So that final cut, that when the sawyer makes that back cut, mm -hmm. right? There's a moment in time when, yeah, when you're, it's, it's not recoverable, so that's good as well. And one of the things that we talked a little bit about, and, and I don't know the answer at all to this question, but... Um, is there within our system, even even though there might not be that many critical steps, is there times when you have normal variability that, that couples that create a point of no return that would be really, really hard for you to identify ahead of time? So that's a super good question. The problem with that is the last words you just said, really, really hard to identify before time. And so then you've got to, I don't know, that's, that's probably a great preventive learning that, or, you know, a predictive learning. So you could do a learning team on that. And, and, and that'd be kind of a cool exercise to say, okay, let's look at this process. We do it pretty often. All right. We, we load rail cars six a day, right? What are all the ways this could fail? What are all the methods by which the failure would happen, the failure modalities? And then what are the essential sort of risk important steps that need to be in place? And then what are the actual critical steps? Yeah. Because it's funny, we were talking to, the, to a, a person who, uh, who was a plant manager who pretty much had loaded rail cars their whole life and had said, we need to probably put some kind of um, zip line up there. We need some kind of fall protection for rail car work, but it's never failed before. And so they waited, of course, until it fell, and now they have you know, the safest rail yard in the world. All that data was there. <coughs> Excuse me, they just didn't predict it. Bob, what'd you learn? Yeah, so th th this week was a lot about storytelling. I mean, I think the things that imp impacted me the most, the ones, the guys from ICL, the Ranger stories, right? The stories from industry, Bill Hoyle, oh my word. We should have we should have story time with Bill, right? Bill and Doug, right? Bill and Doug. <laughs> have him Uncle Bill, <laughs> Uncle Doug. <laughs> That's right. And so, yeah, once again, sort of reiterating that, that to really get this message across, you got to take the time to be good at telling stories. 
and, and take the time to put the sort of put the story together so it's not too long, but long enough and enough information to get the message across. And then, of course, the most important thing that I learned this week is I got to get new shirts because I my shirts say things that offend people, I guess. So I was going to say the, the human and organizational performance helper. I'm just going to wrap the text around the pocket. I think that'll work. So, Bob, when you get really good at this, you don't even need a shirt to offend people. You can just <laughs> you just offend people without a shirt. I mean, I don't well, mean I'll naked. I, I don't mean naked <laughs> offensiveness. But, so. but the next go around, skip the epaulets. Yeah, epaulets. Everyone looks better with epaulets. I know. I All right. Final words? Just proud to be here this week hanging out with everybody. We're done. Later. Thanks for joining us at the kitchen table sessions. It was fun having you sitting with us and, and uh, listening. You didn't talk much, but you listened really nicely. So that was good. That is the podcast for today. That hop conference was really fun. Extra special thanks go to ORCHSE for all the help. Lisa Brooks and our friend Linda Haney, thank you for all the heavy lifting you guys did to make it go. It was really a swell conference. I mean, it was a great facility. The food was amazing. They had really good egg salad. And I'm not sure I've ever said the words really good egg salad before. Because it's, it's not a, yeah, that's not something you hear said very much. It was a great conference, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be a part of it. And I appreciate all the people who did so much work to make it go. And there were a bunch of you. And you know who you are, so there you go. Until then, learn something new every single day. I sure did today. Uh, have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.